This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. A beautiful day outside. Well, it's cloudy, but it's warm. It's been a, it was 80 degrees yesterday uh, here in Connecticut. A beautiful thing. Uh, we do expect some rain, but a good start to the week anyway. Uh, lots to get to this morning. Plenty of baseball news um, the NFL draft concluded over the weekend. By all accounts, people seem to think that the Patriots did well. You heard Dan Zampano pretty thrilled with what they did on day one when we talked to him on Friday. We're going to have him on this week uh, as well on Friday to talk about uh, uh, kind of the takeaway of how, how everybody did in the NFL. But uh, depending on who you listen to, uh, the Patriots got anything from an A- minus to a uh, to a C-plus on the draft. Um, everybody has uh, differing opinions on Mac Jones and some of the other things the Patriots did. So uh, we'll talk uh, to Dan Zampano about that later on in the week. I want to start this morning, though, talking about the bizarre thing that happened in England yesterday. Now, uh, we don't talk about soccer on this network. Uh, Why? Because I would rather watch grass grow than watch a soccer game. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I find soccer perhaps the most boring thing on the face of the planet. Next to, well, now I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, I find soccer tedious. You know, people can say, you know, what they want about uh, uh, baseball, you know, the, the pace of baseball and about how nothing ever had. Jesus, you can watch a soccer game for two hours and see nobody score. You know, I just, uh, and I, look, I'm a guy, I worked the World Cup before. So, you know, when it was in uh, the United States, I worked in Foxborough, and uh, I've watched soccer. I mean, I, I worked college athletics for 25 years. I watched a lot of soccer games. Uh, I never once left a soccer game and said, wow, that was exciting. <laughs> so uh, let me start. Well, so we'll start it off with that. However, what happened this weekend was just bizarre. A game between Manchester United and... Liverpool was called off because of fan protest, because fans literally stormed the field and surrounded the stadium and made it an unsafe situation to the point where the police had to come in with horses on horseback and uh, batons and break up the crowd Uh, about 20 minutes before the game was supposed to have started. Um, look, this is kind of the equivalent of, let's say, the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys about to play a game, and people are pissed off because Jerry Jones is a clown, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, and Cowboy fans decide that they're going to protest. They want Jerry Jones out, and so they're going to storm the field. That's essentially what this was because it was Manchester United fans protesting against ownership by Americans. 
the fact that the Glazer family, who owns the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, owns Manchester United, has people up in arms. Now, to be fair, people have been pissed about the Glazers owning the team since they bought it back in 2005. It was a team that had no debt. The Glazers came on, and now they are reportedly somewhere in somewhere between $500 million and a billion dollars in debt. Um, so that's number one. Number two, obviously, the English Premier League, you know, as storied as it is, people hate the fact that there's foreign ownership. But, you know, and the Glazer one's even worse because the Glazer takeover of Manchester United was not exactly uh, normal. It was a leveraged buyout. It was some one of those things where they was they basically came in and and uh, forced their way into the English Premier League. Now, since then, of course, John Henry owns Liverpool, the other one of the other teams that was involved in that game this weekend. So there's a lot of people. This would be like, I guess, somebody from England owning you know the Chicago Bears. But it is what it is. It's a free market society. Nobody says that you have to be from England to own the team. But what has made this even worse, and the reason that this has bubbled up now, and look, people have been upset about the Glazer family, as I said, since they bought it. But things have been kind of quiet, you know. But then they there was this whole hubbub over the uh, supposed uh, Super League that uh, teams in English Premier League and in uh, Germany and Spain and Italy were trying to start with some of the big-name teams that was going to kind of take away some of the luster from the Champions League and it was just a it was a money grab is what it was. And people lost their ever loving minds. You know, look, you think the NFL is popular here in the United States? It ain't nothing compared to what uh English football is or in uh Spain or Germany or Italy. It is their national sport just like the NFL is here, but people there are even more uh, rabid about it, I think, than they are here in the, the United States with the NFL. I mean, that's an arguable point, but still. Um, so ever since that whole Super League debacle started and once everybody lost their minds about it, everybody in the Super League went, well, okay, never mind. We were wrong. <laughs> well, let's, let's not try that. But at the end of the day, you know, the fact that uh, some American owners in the English Premier League, and it wasn't just American owners, the other you know, some of the other teams were owned by people from those countries. So let's not just say it's an American issue. All right. Because I've heard that too. You know, you greedy Americans, it's only a couple of American owners. The rest of the owners were all local owners, you know, and the owners in Italy and in Spain and, you know, it wasn't American owners that did all this. Okay. Um, but it's still, think about it. Just, uh, just imagine here in the United States, you know, Dallas Cowboy fans deciding they want Jerry Jones out and they're going to storm the field. Because that's what happened. Yeah, uh, just crazy, absolutely crazy. You know, and you know we've heard heard the the tales of the the you know the British hooligan soccer fans over the years, and this was kind of something similar. And they put people in danger because of it. So uh, you know, and they're supposedly going to try to reschedule the game. Don't know when, but man, just a bizarre scene out of England this weekend. Um, one of the other things I want to talk about getting back to the United States and baseball. There has been a lot of talk the last few days about what is going on with baseball and the lack of offense. Uh, none other than Don Mattingly waded into this this weekend 
And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of people have said, well, you know, it's cyclical. This happens in baseball. Sometimes pitching is better than hitting, yada, yada. And Don Mattingly said, no, no, no. He said, this is not cyclical. He said, there's too much swing and miss in Major League Baseball. He said, it's off the charts. He said, and we have got to do something. Um, we haven't seen offensive blackouts like this since 1968, the year of the pitcher when, you know, Bob Gibson and so many other pitchers were just putting up ridiculous numbers to the point where they lowered the pitching mound to make adjustments to what was going on in baseball. Strikeouts right now are averaging over nine per game. Nine. Um, through Saturday, Major League players had struck out in 24.3% of their plate appearances this season. 24.3. That's up for, we thought last year was bad. Last year was 23.4. It's up a percentage from last year, and it's up a percentage and a half since 2019. This is not cyclical. This is a trend. The Major League Baseball batting average overall, 232 through the end of April. Uh, that was, it was uh, 252 two years ago. The record is 237, which was during that 1968 season when they made the changes to lowering the pitcher's mound. So it's five percentage points below what happened in 68. Now, granted, it's a month, okay? I'll give you that. But if this is indeed a trend, as Don Mattingly thinks, Major League Baseball's in trouble. Right now, we're averaging about 7.6 hits a game. That's a record low. That's lower than 1968. Between 1937 and last year, it fluctuated somewhere between 8 and 10, you know, depending. Um, again, I know it's a month, and no, you know, Major League Baseball doesn't want to talk about this, and I know it's a month. And he said, "Look, you know, uh, you know, perhaps, you know, maybe the baseballs are part of it. You know, Major League Baseball supposedly deadened the ball this year a little bit. Uh, that was supposed to only stop it from uh, flying one or two feet shorter when hit over 375 feet. Um, uh, home runs are actually down this year because strikeouts are up. Um." The average velocity for a fastball is higher right now than it was last year. It's up about a half a mile an hour from five years ago. And, you know, look, here's, and, and Alex Cora weighed in on this this weekend. He said the root of the problem is youth baseball and showcase events. He said, because you're rewarding players who hit home runs or throw the ball as hard as they can at the expense of learning situational hitting or learning how to change speeds as a pitcher. You know, it used to be uh, you had to pitch. You had to have three, four pitches. You know, you had to be able to change speeds, change eye levels. You know, right now it's just all about gas, just gas. And part of the problem is, and Major League Baseball is part of this problem, StatCast. 
launch angle, exit velocity. How far did that home run go? Oh, wait, that went two feet farther than the other home run. We're glorifying this uh, power surge. We, we're, we're, it's, a, it's just getting worse because Major League Baseball is feeding into it. Don Mattingly never struck out. This is, and by the way, this is an amazing fact. And I know Don Mattingly is not, you know, he's a borderline Hall of Famer. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he's a guy that is in the Hall of very, very good. You know, uh, I, you know, love the way the guy played. Don Mattingly never struck out more than 43 times in a season between 1982 and 1992. You know, if it weren't for back troubles, Don Mattingly might be in the Hall of Fame because his career would have been longer. But he never struck out more than 43 times in a season. And you can say, well, Gene, it was 35 years ago when he debuted or, or, or 40 years ago when he debuted. I get that. De- game was different. However, this is a fair point. Never struck out 43 times in a season. Joey Gallo has already whiffed 45 times in 2021. Think about that for a minute. It's through May 2nd, which was yesterday. He has struck out 45 times. He's on pace. If he continues what he's doing, he is going to strike out strike out like 225 times this year. I remember when striking out 100 times was an embarrassment. Eugenio Suarez of Cincinnati, same thing. He has struck out over 40 times already this season. That's the problem. You know, people want to talk about, you know, why baseball is boring? They've got to figure this out. Detroit has a 199 batting average through April. 199. The major league uh, record, by the way, for a low batting average in the season, the Chicago White Sox in 1910 hit 211. The Detroit Tigers are right now hitting under 200. Only 16.5% of the pitches have been put into play this season. 16.5%. Down from, uh, you know, just six years ago, it was 19%. You know, it's getting worse. So what are they going to do? Well, we talked about the experimental rules that they're going to try this summer in the Atlantic League. And the more I look at these numbers... And the more I I see this stuff, I am more and more convinced that one of these rules that they are trying in the Atlantic League is one that needs to find its way to Major League Baseball. Now, we'll see what the numbers play out in the Atlantic League, but they are going to move the mound back 12 inches. So instead of 60 feet, 6 inches, it'll be 61 feet, 6 inches. What's that going to do? Well, the velocity when the ball gets to the plate is going to be slower. It, it, you know, and you could say, well, it's going to be marginally slower. It makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. I'm, you know, I'm more and more convinced that that is what they need to do. Because otherwise, I don't, I, I, I don't know what the answer to this is unless. Somehow we figure out a way, you know, to uh, 
change people's minds about the way they're teaching the game. You know, and, and look, you know, it's really hard. We're not going to reach down to little league coaches. Half these guys that are little league coaches are fathers that may have never played baseball in their lives, but they're out there, you know, trying to help their kids out because their kids want to be active and, you know, they want to get them involved in baseball, which is great. But you don't have people that necessarily are great instructors in Little League, right? I mean, let's be honest. You know, uh, having somebody uh, that maybe has been a coach or has played the game for an extended amount of time, maybe one of maybe one of the answers, and we can't legislate this, but maybe one of the answers is getting to a point where the manager of a Little League team has to be somebody with a baseball resume. It can't be John Q. Public, you know, who's drinking <laughs> – who's not drinking a six pack of beer, you know, immediately when the game is over and, uh, you know, has a, uh, you know, has never played baseball in his life. Maybe that isn't the guy that should be teaching kids baseball. And, you know, they can be assistant coaches. You know, there's no reason why they can't do that. But maybe the answer is at the grassroots level, having people that are instructing our kids be somebody with a baseball resume. You know, uh, look, I, I know the game of baseball really well. Okay. I mean, I've watched thousands of games in my life. I've broadcast thousands of games in my life and I consider myself somebody who knows the game very well, but would I be a great teacher of the game of baseball? Here's what I could do. I could teach strategy, but I can't teach hitting. I can't teach a kid necessarily how to throw the ball the right way I was a great softball player (laughs) I was a great softball player but I couldn't hit a fastball so I wasn't a great baseball player so would I be a guy to teach kids how to how to play baseball you know technically no I could teach strategy but I can't teach you know how to hit how to catch how to throw I know plenty I have a lot of friends who could some of the listeners of our show were, were high school and college players that would be great little league instructors. So maybe that's the answer, but that's hard to legislate when, you know, we're trying to get kids involved and then we're going to say, well, but we're going to limit, you know, who can teach you. You know, that's the problem. But until we get to a point where people start recognizing the value, and this has been one of the things that's been refreshing about the Red Sox, is Alex Cora has been teaching that. Alex Cora has been preaching, going, you know, hitting the ball the other way, hitting the ball where it's pitched. If the ball is, you know, thrown on the outside part of the plate, instead of trying to pull the ball, take the ball where it is pitched and go the other way with the ball. The Red Sox have been really good at that this year. But you see a lot of these younger players that try to pull everything. And that's why we have a lot of strikeouts. It's why we have a lot of ground outs. Uh, You know, it's why the Detroit Tigers are hitting 199. And they have a very good coach there in A.J. Hinch. But there is a fundamental problem in baseball. And I don't know that this is there's there is a quick fix to this. But perhaps moving that mound back might be a good start. Um, 
You know, I, I think it would be. I think if Major League Baseball stopped uh, glorifying huge home runs and how what the launch angle was, I have gotten to a point now. There are people that in the media that I have unfollowed because every time a ball is hit, we're getting they they tweet out launch angle, exit velocity, distance you know, uh, stop. We are, everybody that's involved in baseball from the media to major league baseball itself is part of this problem. It's nice to see guys like Alex Cora stepping up and saying, Hey, you know, the game within the game isn't being played anymore. He said, we have to do a better job as an industry to promote contact and line drives. Amen. As I have said all along, the only new analytic stat I want to see is that the, the number of pitches they say, they say that somebody barrels a pitch. When you hit the ball on the button, that's the only new stat I think is worthwhile. Launch angle, throw that out the window. But if you, you know, if you tell me that a guy is barreling up, you know, fifty percent of the pitches that he sees, that's a that's what I want to see, and you know, because that's a valuable thing because it tells you the guy is making good contact. And you know what? If he's hitting two ten and he's making that kind of contact, you know what that means? He's unlucky because if you hit the snot out of the ball more times than not you're going to have success. I say more times than not. In you know, Baseball is one of the few sports where you can be successful three times out of ten and get in the Hall of Fame, right? You hit 300. That means you're getting three hits out of every ten. That means that you are a Hall of Famer. You know, baseball is one of the fewest, the, the only sports where you can, like, fail most of the time and still get in the Hall of Fame. But we have got to we have got to start valuing the other parts of the game. You know, we think that we're appealing to kids by hitting the ball to the moon, and maybe we are. But at the same time, we're sending the wrong message to these kids. They see that and they want to do the same thing. So, all right, off the soapbox, but it is concerning. Now, the Red Sox, conversely, are hitting the ball. <laughs> they're hitting the ball well. The Red Sox lost three out of four games to the Texas Rangers, which drives me up the wall. The Texas Rangers that started the series against the Red Sox, 10 and 15, take three out of four. And every one of those games that the Red Sox lost, the three games that they lost are games they should have won. And that is not... I'm not saying that just because I want to see the Red Sox win. It is a fact of life. The Red Sox had multiple opportunities on Saturday and Sunday, and they left guys on base or they couldn't get the big hit. Yesterday, J.D. Martinez, who has been one of the hottest hitters on the planet, and I'm not here to kill J.D. Martinez, believe me. But in huge situations yesterday, he grounded into double plays twice. And he struck out two other times. He left a small village on base by himself. 
Now, he hasn't done that by and large this season, but it's a perfect opportunity, a perfect example of, you know, the Red Sox scored individual runs in three innings yesterday in a 5-3 loss. There were opportunities in each of those three innings to get a crooked number on the board, and they didn't do it. The same thing happened to them on Saturday. They had opportunities to open a game up, and they didn't. And you leave the door open. They had a 3-1 to one lead going into the bottom of the seventh inning. So you're thinking, well, all right, look, this bullpen's been really, really good. You know, and you felt good about it. And they bring in Garrett Whitlock, who's been re- ridiculous, right? Um, but there was a point where you knew he was going to give up a run, right? I mean, he hadn't given up a run in like 13 and a third innings. Well, he came in and gave up a solo home run, so now it's a 3-2 to two game. Now he got the rest of the guys out after that, you know, returned to, to normal. But then Adam Adovino comes out. And then Adovino, what's he do? You got a 3-2 to two lead? He walks the leadoff batter. Oh, my God. Nate Lowe walks him. And then Nate Lowe, who is not exactly a speed merchant, steals second base off of Adovino. Adovino, very slow to the plate. He's, you know, his entire career, people have been able to steal off him. Same thing happens. So now he's in scoring position. Right? Adovino does a pretty good job, comes back, gets the next two guys. They David Dahl comes up, a left-handed hitter, and he singles to left, drives in the tying run. Right after that, what does Adovino do? He walks the next guy. Kinder Falefa, he walks him on five pitches. So then they bring in Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes has been otherworldly this year he's been dynamite well what happens Brock Holt Brock Holt who you know his you know loves the Red Sox and he says I root for the Red Sox every time except when we're playing them what does he do well line drive to center and the game is over and then Ian Kennedy comes out of the bullpen for the ninth inning for the save for Texas Took him five pitches to get three outs. Because you could see what happened with the Red Sox. When they blew that 3-1 lead, you could see all the air come out of the balloon. So, tough losses. No question about it. Bogarts with a nice home run. Darwin's and Hernandez, another good story yesterday. Another scoreless inning, scoreless sixth. He has looked great. Uh, Garrett Richards got the start. And, uh, you know, you look at the numbers, five innings. Struck out seven, walk one, only gave up uh, one run on four hits. It was a little bit more adventurous than that. You know, he uh, it took him 21 pitches to get out of the first inning. And, uh, you know, so I wouldn't say it was a dominating performance, but he, you know, he still struck out seven, and he managed to get himself out of the trouble he got himself into. So there were plenty of things, uh, you know, positives. But they have got to figure out how to get, runners in from scoring position and blow games open. That's what they haven't been doing. That's what they didn't do in Texas. So it's their first series loss since their opening weekend um, against the Orioles. By and large, look, 17-12 and 12 right now, I would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. They're still in first place. Now it's getting a little tight. Uh, game and a half over... 
Toronto, Yankees are now at 500. The Rays win. I mean, everybody's coming. But now the Red Sox are coming back home for a quick three-game series against the Detroit Tigers, who are hitting 199. That has got to be a series sweep against those Tigers. You've got to get back in the saddle. You've got to get things moving in the right direction before you go out on the road once again. Uh, And one other note, the Red Sox are going to have to, I think they're going to have to run up the white flag and say Franchi Cordero is not ready. Cordero went 0 for 4 again yesterday. He is now 0 for his last 24, 1 for his last 35 with 18 strikeouts. He has struck out more than half the time in his last 35 at-bats. It's time to pull the plug. Uh, I mean, Danny Santana's coming. He's going to start a rehab uh, situation. But, look, they've got to just take Cordero, put him on a bench, and, you know, he's our absolute, you know, last resort. That's, I mean, oh, my God, he just looks terrible. Absolutely awful. 34 minutes past the hour. Going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 36 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. Uh, a lot of people were killing the New York Yankees when uh, Corey Kluber's early results weren't looking that great. And uh, Well, Corey Kluber yesterday looked like the old, remember the they used to call him, what, Klubot? Remember him? Well, Klubot was back yesterday, eight innings pitched. He struck out 10, walked one. Only gave up two hits. Aroldis Chapman came on and struck out two more guys. By the way, Aroldis Chapman's ridiculous. Uh, he has struck out, I think, something like 31 or 22 of the 31 batters he's faced this year. Uh, struck out two more yesterday, picked up his sixth save, and the Yankees uh, beat the Detroit Tigers. The As they said, they were hitting 199. They're a little lower than that after yesterday's game. Uh, the Yankees now get back to 500. Kyle Higashioka, an RBI double in the game. Gary Sanchez... Uh, gets another day off, and uh, Gary Sanchez is, <laughs> uh, you know, another one of those guys struggling with strikeouts, struggling with batting average, just like he did last year, and he's an awful defensive catcher, and Higashioka is just continuing uh, to take playing time away from Sanchez. Uh, look, uh, you know, one thing, Jose Urania got the start for Detroit yesterday. you got to feel bad for the guy. I mean, he pitched a great game. He only gave up three hits, struck out seven over seven innings, uh, but loses, loses because Kluber was – vintage Corey Kluber yesterday. I mean, he was only hitting 91 on the gun, but his location was perfect. So uh, the Yankees get back to 500. Um, Dave Massey just checked in uh, on Facebook, and, you know, he's he's he's, uh, he's right. I mean, but what he says kind of goes along. He said exit velocity, he says, is the only fun new stat. But that goes along for me with, uh, with the barrel thing, because if you're going to hit, if exit velocity is going to be high, it means you hit the ball right on the button. I mean, I'd like you know exit velocity on line drives, not just on home runs, is to me the kind of the fun stat because it means the guy barreled up the pitch. So you're right, Dave. I mean, you know, uh, to me, you know. How fast a pitcher throws? Couldn't care less. You know, you throw 105. If it doesn't, ha- if you throw 105 and it doesn't move, 
guys are going to figure out how to catch up to that. All this other stuff, you know, Dave's right. And Dave's a little more blunt. You know, it sucks. You know, exit velocity. You know, and not just on homers, but on line drives. Launch angle, who gives a crap? Seriously. Who gives a crap? Uh, All right, so the Yankees get back to 500. The Blue Jays continue to roll as they get past the Braves. Boy, the Braves. Whew. Man, there's got to be people uh, damn near suicidal in Atlanta. They got swept by the Jays. Uh, the Atlanta Braves are now 12 and 16. And again, Major League Baseball, you know, what they, who do they want to talk about? They want to talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. They want to talk about Ozzie Albies. They want to talk about all these great young players on the Braves. Get it. You know, you want to, you need to have players that people are excited about, you know, other than Mike Trout. You know, we need to find some of these young players like Tatis and Acuna Jr. I get all that. Um, but, boy, right now, the Braves may have some great young players, but they're having a little trouble with pitching. Ian Anderson, their great young pitcher, gave up uh, four runs, six hits, and four innings. And uh, he takes the loss as the uh, the Blue Jays now are 14-12, and 12, just a game and a half back of the Red Sox as they win 7-2. to uh, A little bit concerning for the Jays yesterday. George Springer, who came back over the weekend, Springer who hit two home runs in the game on Saturday, uh, left the game in the sixth inning yesterday with what they said was fatigue. Um, you know, don't forget they're playing down in Toronto where it's been really hot. Um, and he's just coming back, and it's early in the season, and they're going to be very careful with him. They're giving him a trillion dollars, so they're going to be careful with him, and they took him out for a pinch hitter in the sixth. But uh, uh, at the end of the day, a great performance by the Jays. Uh, Ross Stripling, uh, not exactly a quality start, but again, this Blue Jays bullpen, which has been really good all season, continues. Uh, they used five relievers yesterday and got four and two-thirds shutout innings. And by the way, four and two-thirds shutout innings, and they didn't even allow a walk. Struck out nine over that four and two-thirds. I don't care who you are, what team you are, you will take that all day long. Uh, the Rays... Creeping closer, they uh, come back to beat the Houston Astros 5-4. to four. They are now just a game under 500. Uh, the Astros fall to 15-13, and 13, but uh, the hero in this one was Austin Meadows. Uh, a big home run in the fifth inning that erased a 3-0 lead that the, uh, the Astros had had. It tied the game up, and uh, he came around... Uh, a couple of innings later to score the go-ahead run, and Tampa wins this one by a final of 5-4. to four. Uh, Rich Hill got the start, three shutout innings, um, only allowed one hit. Uh, he hasn't been great this year. Michael Waka came on after that and got lit up. He was the reason that Houston had the lead. Uh, but then the Tampa bullpen uh, buckled down. Diego Castillo picks up his seventh save of the season. And somebody finally got to Christian Javier, the young uh, Astros pitcher. He hadn't a lot of home run all season until that one uh, by Austin Meadows. So everybody else in the American League East is coming. And like I said, the Red Sox have an opportunity here. When we talked about this, you know, they were going to be playing uh, three teams in a row that had losing records, and it was a chance for the Red Sox to get themselves back 
uh, on a roll again, and they have struggled, at least in the beginning. So they have got to take care of business when the Detroit Tigers come to town starting tomorrow. Uh, this was a fun game, the Phillies and the Mets. Uh, on Sunday morning, Jose Alvarado was suspended by Major League Baseball for three games for inciting a, a bench-clearing incident. You know, nothing really happened. Uh, but, and this is, by the way, this is the second time this season now that Major League Baseball has suspended somebody when something's happened without a punch even being thrown. It's, I don't get it. You know, they want to talk about allowing players to celebrate, batters to celebrate when they hit home runs. You know, hey, the bat flips are great. You know, uh, you know, let's let's have a party because I hit a home run. Yet when a pitcher strikes somebody out, and then they have something to say to the batter, and you know, maybe you know, a little exuberant after they strike somebody out, that seems to be a problem. It's okay to celebrate when you home run, but God forbid, you know, you, you show somebody up after you struck them out. See, that's part of the problem, again, with Major League Baseball. Here we go. We want to celebrate guys like Tatis Jr., uh, Ronald Acuna, guys, you know, uh, Juan Soto, guys that want to, you know, have big celebrations when they hit a bomb. Well, why isn't it okay for pitchers? You know, uh, they let Trevor Bauer get away with the little strut that he does, and, you know, he he says a lot of stuff, and he gets away with it. But there's two pitchers now that have been suspended for talking. <laughs> and so Alvarado has decided to appeal his three-game suspension. The Phillies probably wish that he hadn't <laughs> because yesterday uh, Joe Girardi brings Alvarado into a tight game, and uh, he imploded. He walks, a bases loaded walk. He issued two walks, a hit, gave up three runs without getting a batter out. And the New York Mets use a six-run eighth inning uh, to win the game 8-7. It was 8-5, and this is where, this was cool. I mean, I, this was on ESPN, so it was the last thing I saw, you know, last night. The Phillies appeared to have come back to perhaps win this game. Uh, in the ninth inning, uh, Roman Quinn has an RBI triple. Matt Joyce walks, and then Reese Hoskins hits a ball that was ruled a three-run homer. It would have won the game for the Phillies in the bottom of the ninth. What happens? They go to replay, and they see on the replay that the ball hit the top of the railing on the fence on the out-of-town scoreboard. It never actually cleared the wall. So it ends up being a two-run double. So instead, now it's uh, it's an 8-7 game. If the ball had actually gone over, well, actually it wouldn't have won the game. They would have It would have ended up being uh, a tie game and perhaps going into extra innings. But at the end of the day, uh, they end up losing. And, it was a, and that's one of the ones where I don't have a problem with replay. They got it right. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes some of the stuff that we're replaying is just ridiculous. But this was one where they got it right. Uh, and Edwin Diaz was awful for the Mets. He had been pretty good this year, but he gave up three runs yesterday. Uh, but Juris Familia comes in, gets the final out, and picks up his first save of the season. And the Mets, uh, with a great win, they are now at 500 as well. Uh, sitting in first place in the NL East at 500. Everybody else is under 500. It's just, uh, it, it continues to be strange how 
everybody, uh, it seems to be mediocre this year. Uh, how about uh, <laughs> Jesus Lazardo? He's on the DL for the Oakland Athletics. Why? Well, he has a broken pinky finger. It happens, right? People get injuries. No, he did not do it playing baseball, folks. He did it playing a video game. He was playing a video game, got excited, bumped his hand on the desk, and uh, broke his pinky finger on his throwing hand, and so he is now on the 10-day DL. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, the good news for Oakland, they ended up winning their game yesterday. Uh, the Athletics beat the Baltimore Orioles 7-5, to uh, and uh, Oakland now in first place by a game over the Seattle Mariners uh, as they right the ship a little bit as they have struggled of late after running off, what, 10 wins in a row. Uh, they are 5-5 five and five in their last 10 now, but uh, they get the win yesterday over the absolutely hideous Baltimore Orioles. It is 48 minutes past the hour. We've got to take another break. We're back in a minute to wrap things up. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 50 minutes past. Yara, welcome back to the wake-up call. Forgot to push the button. Uh, basketball yesterday, the Boston Celtics are in trouble. They lost to the Portland Trailblazers yesterday, 129-119. to uh, They're going to have to win five of their last six to stay out of the play-in round of the NBA playoffs, by the way. LeBron James yesterday called it the, uh, uh, the SHIT. Uh, playing around he said LeBron James said whoever came up with that idea should be fired <laughs> LeBron can get away with saying that uh, you know he can get away with saying whatever he wants um, but the Celtics lose that game yesterday to the Trailblazers and at the end of the game there was a collision with their two biggest players uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown trying to trap a guy near the sideline they collide with each other and they both collapsed to the floor. Uh, Jalen Brown actually needed help to get to the locker room. Didn't put any weight on his right leg. Uh, not good. This is a guy who has had issues with an ankle already this season. Jason Tatum got up. He was walking with an obvious limp as well. Uh, not, not optimal uh, when you're already struggling uh, with, with your playoff position and you need five out of six wins, which ain't likely, by the way, the way this team has been playing. Uh, Tatum with 33 more points yesterday after throwing up 60 the other night. Uh, he actually broke Larry Bird's record for most points in the three-game stretch. Uh, but he was 11 for 19 last night, 7 of 7 from the line at 33 points. Uh, no Kemba Walker again. He's out with that oblique injury. He's missed his fourth straight game. Uh, this team is, you know, much was expected and little is going to happen with the Celtics team. The most ridiculous thing in this game yesterday Marcus Smart got ejected in this game. This was absolutely ridiculous. There was a play late in the uh, fourth quarter where uh, Yusef Nurkic had been uh, called for an offensive foul. And during that play, Marcus Smart's hand came around and it was completely unintentional and made contact with uh, the groin of uh, Nurkic. So the referees go to the replay and determine that, yes, it was an offensive foul on Nurkic, but it's going to be a technical foul against Marcus Smart for the contact to the groin, and he was ejected. That is the 
dumbest thing I have ever seen. And it took them about five or six minutes to figure it out. But they ejected him for uh, incidental contact. It wasn't like he reached out to try to hit the guy in the nuts. It just was unintentional contact, and they ejected him. It was unreal. And by the way, the replay in the NBA is out of control. You know, with replaying all the fouls, and I mean, it's just nuts. You know, I mean, I, they've got to they've got to get a handle on this and do it like the NFL does, and give each coach like a certain number. Maybe give them one challenge, and if they get it right, they get another one or something. Because now, and and late in games, the referees can do it. They don't need a challenge. It's gotten absolutely ridiculous. You know, talk about sucking the wind out of a game. So anyway, the Celtics uh, with the loss and uh, good luck staying out of that play and having to win uh, five out of six. Um, a couple other notes from baseball yesterday. How about the San Francisco Giants? They beat the Padres, the the darlings of Major League Baseball this year, seven to one. Kevin Gaussman uh, pitches six innings, only gives up one run. The San Francisco Giants lead Major League Baseball in games of allowing one run or fewer. I believe yesterday was their seventh or eighth of the season where they have allowed just one run. Unbelievable. Um, Joe Musgrove, who pitched the no-hitter, uh, got whacked around in this one. Five innings, gave up six runs, uh, and uh, the Giants take advantage. Tommy LaStella, a um, couple of uh, big hits in this game, including an RBI triple. Um, as they wait, uh, Mike Yastrzemski still not back uh, in the in the uh, lineup for the Giants as he is nursing an injury. So Tommy LaStella steps up, and the Giants only get five hits, uh, but they beat the San Diego Padres 7-5. to five. The uh, Cleveland Indians yesterday continued to play well. You know, everybody wants to write off these Indians, but because of their pitching, you cannot count them out. They shut out the uh, hot Chicago White Sox yesterday, 5-0. Zach Plesak, uh pitches six innings, only gives up three hits. He did walk four guys, but uh, struck out six. Uh, no runs allowed. Great job out of the bullpen once again for Cleveland. And uh, Lucas Giolito got the start. Pitched fairly well, pitched into the sixth inning, only gave up one earned run and five hits. Um, but uh, Cleveland gets a home run from Cesar Hernandez and Jose Ramirez for Ramirez is his eighth of the season. And the Indians now get back to 500 uh, as they beat the White Sox five to nothing. And how about Max Scherzer yesterday? Max Scherzer pitches his best game of the season. Uh, they beat uh, the Miami Marlins three to one. Uh, Scherzer. Goes the distance, only gives up five hits, one run. He struck out nine, didn't walk anybody. Picks up his second win of the season, and as soon as he gets off the field, finds out his wife is pregnant and heads to the hospital. So a, uh, a big day for Max Scherzer as uh, he and his wife uh, welcomed a new baby immediately after the game yesterday. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of The Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Mac Davis. Here's an oldie but a goodie. I believe in music. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.